0: Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So recently, I had the opportunity to go to a place that I didn't know that I would be interested in going that would be the glorious state of california in the united states of america i went there for work i had i had an important uh, client i had to visit with and 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 see their their campus and look at their school and that's what i do i try and help people to be safer and more secure wherever they are so i do assessments for businesses schools religious facilities camps all that kind of stuff and I had this client in California, and we worked out a deal. And I was to go out there for ten days, and go see this campus. Right, that's the whole idea. But the whole idea of going to California was—I uh, don't know—wasn't high on my list. I was there when I was a kid, when I was like uh, ten or eleven years old. My family took a a driving trip across the country, and we ended up in uh, California. We had a cousin who lived in Manteca or Manitica, California about two hours east of San Francisco. And I remember as a kid going to San Francisco, it was—it seemed like a, a nice enough town. We drove that crazy road, that big road you used to be able to drive down, that big uh, swirly thing going down. I remember being at the uh, Fisherman's Wharf and having these guys throw fish at each other and you know, across the room. That was pretty cool. We took a boat ride. Um, it was like a ferry, I guess. And the ferry went out to Alcatraz, which was pretty cool as a kid, Uh, went underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, and those, even even at 10 years old, I knew those were historic places, so it was a lot of fun to be there. What was interesting is that uh, at the time, in 1969, 1970, a Native American uh, group had taken over Alcatraz as a protest, uh, saying that the land belonged to them, and it was interesting because when I was there on the boat, floating by, we could see some fires uh, actually, on Alcatraz Island, and the uh, the guide was telling us that that was the Native Americans that were uh, occupying the island for a time, and I believe that ended in 1970. They left, but anyway, uh, that was a pretty cool reference, so I kind of understood it. So I'm out there in California, and I end up uh, Kathleen and I decided to let's go to the San Francisco area. Now we really had no desire whatsoever to go into San Francisco proper. Uh, you know, all these things that you hear about San Francisco, you know, people uh, defecating on the street, drug dealers, crimes everywhere. We had no real desire to go into that area. So instead, we did uh, Marin County, Wine Country, uh, Sonoma, Napa, that kind of thing. Uh, But we we did spend some time down around the San Francisco area. Now, it was funny. I had a, a rental car and The rental car agent is telling me, hey, listen, if you're going to go near San Francisco, pay attention. Do not leave anything visible in your car. Anything. A bottle of water, a phone charging cable, anything. If you leave anything visible in your car, somebody will smash your window and steal it. And I said, really? Uh, You mean like uh, in, in downtown san francisco if i go there and he said no anywhere in the surrounding areas any of the tourist places that you would go if you leave so much as a bottle of water on the door inside your vehicle they will smash the glass to get the bottle of water i said who will he goes uh the people there who are there uh you have homeless people you have people who just wander around looking to steal stuff it's really gotten out of control i said well that's that's okay you know we'll pay attention to that so kathleen and i are driving around and we decide we're going to go see uh one of the things i really wanted to see was uh point reyes so if you ever get a chance to go there uh Point Reyes is, is is just beautiful. It's it's in the hills of Marin County and it goes it looks out over the the ocean, the magnificent Pacific. So the whole point of my story here is that I was reluctant to go to California cuz all the things were all the craziness that we hear about what goes on in California. You know, uh, the the crazy laws and the everything that that they expect you to do and now, I got to admit there was a lot of tofu eating. A lot of sprout eating everywhere we went. They have sprouts on everything. So that's that stuff was kind of true. But we didn't see a lot of the craziness that you hear about. What we did is we met some really, really wonderful people. Uh, beautiful little towns all over the place. I mean, idyllic little towns that you think of when you think of, you know, what, any, what I thought of as California. Um, and I think my only real reference to the little towns of California was, believe it or not, the uh, TV show from the 70s, The Partridge Family. You know, they, they lived in San Pueblo, California, which I, I suppose is somewhere near Los Angeles. I don't know. It's a, it's a fictional town as far as I know. But you would see them riding around and it, it looked like a nice place. Well, that's what the towns really looked like. So if you ever get a chance to watch that show and you see them driving that, you know, crazy bus around and they go through those little towns, that's exactly what these little towns looked like. And I found myself liking it. I said, you know, it's actually pretty, no craziness, no cra- I didn't see any crazy things. Um, but we ended up, uh, finally deciding to go to the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, I saw it as a kid, many, many, many moons ago. So, you know, 50 years ago, I was there with my family. And I said, you know, I really would like to go see the bridge again, you know, w- where we, we ended up on one side, we ended up in Sausalito, which is a beautiful little town. I mean, really, really nice. Uh, it's, it's got a good view of the Bay Bridge, the San Francisco Bay Bridge, not the Golden Gate Bridge. That's on the other side of Sausalito. So we saw the Bay Bridge, and that was one of the ones that collapsed in the uh, Loma Prieta earthquake, uh, earthquake, I think it was called, back in the day, uh, late 80s, I think. And, but Sausalito was great. We walked around. I enjoyed a uh, an aromatic uh, tobacco product, uh, a nice uh, couple of cocktails, and I, I thought, wow, this is great. No craziness here. No craziness. Well, I got to tell you, a um, couple of things that we did find that were crazy. Well, we went to the Golden Gate Bridge, and we went to a bunch of uh, state, I don't, they're not state parks, but they're state attractions, things that you could go see. Uh, you know Green Valley and this and that. You park your car and there's hiking trails everywhere. You know the hiking trails everywhere. Marin County really quite beautiful. Uh, totally different than the Napa region, which is just north of it. But a lot of mountains, very beautiful mountains. But everywhere we went to get out of our car, they have these signs there that say, uh, "This is a smash and grab hot spot," and there's pictures of car windows smashed open and like, "Do leave nothing in your car." I'm like, "Wow, that's." That's pretty bold for them. You know, this this is what the guy at the car rental place said. So we, we made sure we threw everything in the trunk, and then you hoped for the best, right? Well, one of the cool things in one of these parks we went to was, you know, the big earthquake in 1906. Uh, it's remnants. We've seen pictures of it, and uh, uh, geology is something that I like. I like geology, and I like tectonic plates and all that kind of stuff. And... You know that, that earthquake was a big quake. Well, in this one park in California, where they do have the sign, this is a smash-and-grab hotspot, and it's beautiful, though. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous place. Um, there's a, a walkway. Like, think of a walkway going up to your house, a concrete walkway going up to your front door. And then say you had a fence along that, on either side of that walkway, right? They have a place here where they mark out the San Andreas Fault, with these blue colored poles. They, they painted these poles blue, and they run right on top of the fault in this uh, park area we were at. And you can walk up to a place that people used to have a house here in 1906. And what is stark is you think about an earthquake. You know, when you're on the East Coast, we had an earthquake here, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and it was strange. But here we are out there, and here's this 16 foot movement of the two plates in 1906 you realize how huge that earthquake actually was that destroyed san francisco but there's this walkway uh, that's all that's left this walkway and the fence of where this house used to be and the walkway and the fence are separated by 16 feet you can actually see where the walkway cracked in half and half of it and the fence went to the left and the other half went to the right, and they're separated by 16 feet. And you can only imagine the tremor that that must have caused uh, all along that fault to move 16 feet in one in one movement. So that was pretty cool. The uh, the things that were strange were the signs. So we got to the Golden Gate Bridge, and we saw the bridge, and it's actually it was a beautiful day, absolutely stunning. You know, you're in these, these winding roads. If you ever go to Marin County, that's one thing you're going to see. They are winding, very, very high uh, altitude hills that you ride around. Absolutely stunning, beautiful. But uh, they don't use guardrails a lot. And you look down, you can drop down 400 feet, 800 feet, uh, making a wrong turn. So we get to the, get to the bridge and we park uh, lots of people all around. But there's this picture of a guy with like a ski mask and another sign, uh, you know, don't leave anything in your car. This is a hot spot for uh, smashing grabs. Just unbelievable. I had to take pictures of the signs. Uh, but we got out and we, we walked uh, to the first, first big giant pylon uh, over the Golden Gate Bridge. And when I was a kid, I thought it was amazing to ride underneath that uh, historical edifice. But to actually walk on it. Was really cool, even better. So Kathleen and I hoofed all the way out there to the first pylon. I don't know, it's a quarter of a mile by the time you get to it, maybe a little bit more. But standing there taking pictures, you look down, you could see Alcatraz. Uh, it's right there. You know, very cool to see these historic things. And I was surprised how much I was actually enjoying California because you get this in your head on the East Coast that it's it's a crazy place with all. That. And again, the only thing we really saw that was. Um, crazy were these signs about these smashing grabs and you have to always remember at the time you get you can't leave anything not even a a, a pamphlet of the place you're looking at because they'll smash your window and, and and take that the only other thing and this is pretty funny that we saw that was kind of crazy about the rules you know there's so many rules in california about everything i guess that and that's what we were concerned about that they would be very uh, draconian rules about everything you kind of hear about you know the socialist state of california and we, we went to a restaurant, and a beautiful little restaurant, beautiful little town, and it, it was raining out a little bit at this point, and we decided to, hey, we're, we're done with dinner, and they had an overhang. You know the overhangs they created uh, during COVID so you could eat outdoors? Well, there was nobody out there because it was raining. It was a little chilly. It was It was in the very low 50s, but we finished eating our dinner, and I said, to the, to the waitress, hey, listen, is it right if I go under your overhang and enjoy a cigar? You know, there's nobody out there. Can I have a cigar outside there? She goes, oh, I don't know. Let me go ask my manager. Okay. Well, she leaves and she comes back, you know, two minutes later, she goes, oh, I'm really sorry, but you can't smoke under the overhang. Um, oh, as a matter of fact, there's no smoking allowed at all on 4th Avenue in the town. I said, what did you say? She says, you're not allowed to smoke anywhere on fourth avenue i said why is that she goes i don't know it's a law they came up with not too long ago but no smoking at all on fourth avenue i said what about fifth avenue yeah i think you can smoke over there but definitely not on fourth avenue so that was kind of kind of strange but other than that as we traveled around uh, in that whole area we ended up up in wine country and we saw some some beautiful wineries it's just unbelievable the the mile after mile after mile of grapevines everywhere so if you've never been it's 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 really nice it's pricey Uh, everything up there is expensive Um, but we found a really great place called paradise ridge paradise ridge winery uh, set up on top of a hill overlooking the valley absolutely gorgeous place beautiful sunshiny day we had a wine tasting uh, and then we ended up joining the club you know, they send you uh, bottles of wine throughout the year. But that's a really nice one if you're going to go out there. Paradise Ridge was, was really nice. We like that. Uh, Napa itself, well, again, uh, it had rained a lot uh, in the last uh, month in California. So there was mudslides. Whoever heard of mudslides? When you live on the East Coast, you don't see that. They had mudslides out there, closed roads, uh, knocked you know, pieces of the roads, fell down the cliff. You could see these mountains go straight up. They're not like uh, Pocono Mountains or, or upstate New York Mountains. These things go straight up, and they're mostly made of like a, a conglomerate. Uh, there's rock underneath, but f- the whole tops of them are, are, are this, this like, I don't know, clay and, and smashed rock and this and that, and when it gets wet, it slides off the hill, and you can could, you could see those all over the place. So that was pretty good. We met some, some wine people, uh, friends of ours. Their daughter is in Petaluma, California. Uh, again, you know, you hear all these names uh, growing up, Petaluma and uh, Viejo, Mission Viejo, all these different places. Well, she's a, a winemaker. Her and her husband uh, have started their own little winemaking. There are 650 winemakers in Napa Valley. Now, I never do that, but go to your wine store and all those, all those bottles that say uh, Napa Valley, Napa Valley, Sonoma. There are 650 of them. And it's the whole area is, is grapevines. It's really amazing to see how well manicured they are and they take good care of it. and uh, so, so really cool. But anyway, so our friend's daughter is starting uh, their own winemaking. And what they do is, I didn't understand this uh, commercially speaking, is that you might be a winemaker but not have any land, right? You might just be making the wine. So what they do is the vineyards will use, uh, like the estate ones that grow their own, right they don't buy any extra grapes they grow all their own grapes and at the end they might have 20 or 30 percent of their grapes left over well they sell them to independent winemakers so you might be like this young man and his and his wife they they want to be winemakers but they don't have any land to grow grapes on so what they do is they have a fermenting facility and a facility to you know crush the grapes and all that so they buy it they buy these extra grapes from different uh, vineyards uh, and then they they Do a blend, you know, and the whole the whole thing about the wine is that it comes down to the winemaker, the winemaker's preference for the kind of grape. There are like I don't know what do you say, 28 or 29 microclimates all over Napa that produce different flavors in the grape. There's there's 27 or 28 different kinds of soils uh, that have been identified in the area, and if if you plant certain kinds of grapes in certain kind of soil with a certain kind of microclimate, you get a different flavor. So it's really an interesting thing. Uh, Miss Kathy is is a, is a wine person. She likes uh, she likes wines, and uh, I'm starting to to learn about it, and I enjoyed it. When the more I knew about it, the more I enjoyed uh, learning about the place and the specific vineyard and what they did. But this young couple, they they did 400 and I don't know 450 cases their first year, and this year they're doing 850 cases. So that's a huge increase. Um, and we're going to try and get them out here to the east coast where they're going to be selling their wine That's another thing you make your wine and then you go around and you try and find distributors and you try and find restaurants that'll buy it and and then you ship it it's a it's a really interesting industry and it's booming out there you know go to your go to your local liquor store and look around and you see how many wines you see like wine is almost the whole store and there's a couple of rows of, of other things so that was uh that was really interesting out in california i found And we kept saying to ourselves, we didn't expect that we would like it. And it turns out we really do. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, Absolutely gorgeous where we were, you know, all in that uh, San Francisco northern area. We went from there up into that area. Now, I suggest you go try it. Um, I'm going to have an opportunity later this year I'll be going to San Diego for a a training event I'll be going out there and we're going to see the southern part of the state but this was really nice so I wanted to pass that on to you if you're thinking of someplace to go uh, you know the Napa region really is uh, interesting Uh, so that was that now um, the other things that have been going on as i got my pages of outrages here right I'm trying to get my act together you know, a little bit of jet lag you know it's funny you go from the east coast to the west coast and you, you, you're three hours uh you're three hours behind out there and, and then you get used to that after eight or ten days and then you fly back and you, you get it the other way so this morning we're used to getting up uh later and uh, i slept in a little bit because of it because you don't realize that time change I want to say that, you know, when it talks about the airlines and uh, airlines being crazy, and, you know, recently there's been a couple airlines almost clipped each other in, uh, in JFK uh, in New York. We, we flew on United, and I wasn't a fan of United. You know, I, I, have, I like Delta. I've flown on them a lot. Um, the Southwest, you know, they were good, but their timing is a little off these days. But we flew on United, and big, beautiful plane on the way out. Very comfortable. I guess it took us six hours and twenty minutes to get there from uh, from Newark uh, out to the San Francisco airport is where we flew into. Took us six hours and twenty minutes. Well, coming home you get a tailwind, so when we took off, there was a uh, we got up to altitude thirty nine thousand feet. We had a tailwind of a hundred miles an hour for most of the country. We we're flying at six hundred and forty miles an hour. We were home in five hours and ten minutes. From uh, from San Francisco back to Newark, New Jersey, in five hours and ten minutes, it was uh, it was absolutely amazing. And everybody on the airplane was very nice. You know, you see all these stories about United Airlines stewardesses throwing people off and yelling at people. We didn't see any of that. It was actually very nice. I was I was happy to uh, happy to enjoy that. So that leads us now into other things. I just wanted to share that little bit with you. A little experience of fun that we had and and what we were doing and where Lieutenant Joe has been because I've been I've been working. So the Biden document scandal. Is it a scandal? Is that a scandal? Well, uh, isn't he on record saying uh, that Trump was uh, what was uh, he was uh, inappropriate for having these documents, and he was uh, careless, and he was he was foolish, and he was criminal, and and they raided Mar-a-Lago, they raided Trump's house to go after him, because he had these documents. Now, if we all remember the story, uh, the the archives, National Archives, knew he had the documents, and he had them in a secured location. They visited the location in Mar-a-Lago. They looked over the area that the documents were stored, and they suggested, hey, the locks on here are good, but could you put additional locks on? And he put the exact kind of lock that they asked on the doors. And next thing you know, two weeks later, the FBI agents show up and raid the house. They took pictures of the documents. Uh, They put them out. They went through uh, his wife's underwear drawer. They went through through his son's personal belongings all this big deal they made a big blowout on uh, trump keeping these documents maybe he's going to get indicted and then uh here's biden has them in three or four locations no fbi raid no uh taking pictures of the documents laying around although we have seen pictures of the garage right you know where the corvette is and you see boxes of documents you know just presidential classified documents sitting around in uh, in his garage uh, do we see any pictures of those documents? Do we see anything embarrassing? How many FBI agents went to his house with a search warrant? To l- oh, none. No, his, his personal lawyer said, just like Hillary Clinton, I'll look through it and uh, I'll give you anything that's uh, incriminating or anything I shouldn't have and I'll, I'll be honest with you about it and I'll give you what I can find. And they say, oh, okay, all right, that's a good idea. See, the, the double standard here. You know, here we are chasing justice uh, on our program, and there is no justice when you have a thing like that. When you have two sets of rules for different people for the same things, you lose confidence in the system. And this is just one more example of FBI and DOJ really showing favoritism towards the Democrats, showing favoritism towards certain people and not towards others. And you can't have a system work like that. Nobody believes in it. Well, if you get caught with something, you know they're going to prosecute the hell out of you. You're not going to have any chance to fight the government. But if you're a specific elite person or you have a D next to your name, eh, you're going to be overlooked. You get a warning. You know, We'll look at it and realize you didn't have any uh, desire to break the law, so therefore we're not going to prosecute you. But if it's the other way around, they're going to land on you with both feet and bury you. And it's as simple as that. So the Biden documents, it's a scandal, a scandal, a scandal. How much of a scandal? I would assume that if you went to Barack Obama's library or his house, there's probably presidential documents, uh, you know, classified there. I would say uh, George Bush, uh, the senior and the younger, both probably have uh, classified documents. Because I think they probably all take things for their memoirs and and different papers that, you know, they want to have for their own their own uh, history that they were president of the united states and these are you know things that they did or whatever um but we're not even looking at those it was just a thing to go after trump for and just another example of the bias against donald trump that do anything and everything to keep him away from that white house because and i think this is both republicans and democrats do this. They don't want him anywhere near that building and that power because of what he was doing. He was holding them accountable. He wasn't letting the elites run wild. Uh he was doing what he said he was going to do. He was going to drain that swamp. And they didn't want that swamp drained. There's too much money in there for them. Right? Then that's both sides of the aisle. So that's why I think we see this constant drumbeat against Trump. Even the guy's been out of office now a couple of years and they're still doing search warrants and maybe they're going to indict him. You know the whole thing with uh, with Biden here is going to be interesting to see how how they they parse this one. Uh, they're going to indict Trump for having the records, but they won't indict Biden because he didn't intend to do it. He turned them over when he found them. Uh, he was nicer about it, and and besides, uh, he's not the orange man. So, uh, and what's what's going to happen? The only place you'll learn anything about it that'll be negative or bring up the fact that it is inappropriate, biased. Uh, and two-tiered system is either here on Chasing Justice or here on the America Out Loud radio network uh, where it's very uh, pro-justice and truth uh, or on Fox News. Other than that, every other media outlet let newspaper whatever is going to talk about oh they will they will uh massage the nuance that uh well biden only had 22 and trump had boxes of them and trump had wouldn't give them up and the search warrants they will they will massage that uh rhetoric and they will go round and round with their hypocrisy and make a great big uh, hypocrite stew out of the whole thing and nothing will happen absolutely nothing will happen negative uh to the biden's now, look at look at all the evidence here. They're going after these documents like it's the end of the world. How about not enforcing the border and having millions of people pour into our country, people getting killed, being human trafficked all along the way, all the drugs, the fentanyl that's killing 100,000 Americans every year. How come they don't look into that? Now, well, because that doesn't have any value to them. You can't really do anything against Trump with that. And that would just hurt Biden so we won't report on it. We won't do anything about it. This is our country, right? This is our country. All of us have a have a a stake in what happens here. And what we're watching is this corruption, this uneven system, this this unfairness to everybody else. And that's what I've said all along. How this is not sustainable. This can't go on like this forever. It comes to a boiling point. You know, we have our kids. Uh, in schools and parents don't have any say and if you do have say they'll come after you they will come after you with the fbi because you're a terrorist because you don't want them teaching your kids certain things or you want to have a voice in what they teach and how they teach and what age they teach it this is all unsustainable way to go and the the document thing is just another crystal clear example of the two-tier system that we have and you cannot you cannot live in a two-tier system Where if you're not on board, you will suffer consequences. But if you are on board, eh, no big deal. You get to get away with it. Because, uh, believe me, I think we all know, if any of us had uh, confidential documents... What about the young man who was on a submarine and took a selfie of himself on his submarine? Uh, It didn't show anything secret, but you're not allowed... And the, the kid got five years in jail for taking a selfie on a submarine. In the meantime, you have all this other nonsense. So I want you to think about that. We're gonna take a little break and we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice.
1: You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix Rx, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD For 20% off, stay protected with Kofix Rx. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangar. I'm glad to be here with you. I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, It's been a busy, busy time for me, and I appreciate everybody out there continuing to tune in uh, so that we can have our time together. So listen, uh, I'm getting through this winter again pretty easily. Uh, I've been taking the Healthy Cell uh, Immune Boost, and it's it's been a wonder. I, uh, I carry it with me when I go on trips to California. Uh, I, go on, I carry it with me when I go to my offices. Uh, I bring it with me when I go on business trips. And, and then I take it when I'm just sitting around the house at home enjoying adult beverages uh, and talking with Miss Cassie. Kathy. So uh, if you're looking to improve your health, maintain your health, right, I'm going to suggest you take a look at the uh, Healthy Cell products. They're all over the network here. They really work. Uh, I've been on them for over a year now and I got to tell you, I've seen an absolute change in the number and severity of colds, sinus infections, all this other nonsense because I think it it, it does boost up your immune system so you can fight things off. So, uh, you know, healthy cell, I think it's pretty good and I'm just telling you about it. So, what has our Supreme Court done recently? Well, we have a conservative Supreme Court is what they tell us. Well, we had the... Uh, roe versus wade decision overturned which was bad law now we can get into the whole thing again every you immediately jump into the to the abortion 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 thing well right if people want to go and have abortions they can do it about 75 percent of the country still allows abortions on demand whatever you want even after the baby's born you can go find out if that's what you want to do but the the law that, that created the case in the supreme court was flawed and that's what uh, lawyers will tell you. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, uh, n- no conservative whatsoever, uh, she was very clear that the law that created it was was bad. And now all that's happened is it's been put back to the state. So your state can decide. If you want to let people, you know, terminate their pregnancies, you can do it. If that's what you want in your state, that's what you vote for. That's really empowering. Uh, to people to vote for what they want in their community i'm a big believer in that in your community uh, you set the rules for your community and if you don't like it you move out of that community and go someplace that suits your uh, your situation Um, this is a side note to segment one when we started here together on our little adventure talking about california they do have signs out there, I do, big billboards that I saw that said, uh, Protect the Babies, right? Protect the Babies, and they got these, it's a Right to Life group and this and that. Uh, they got these big billboards, cute little baby on there. Well, I have to say, um, around San Francisco, there was a, a big giant billboard, and it said, you know, uh, Protect the Babies. I guess that's their ad campaign. Huh? And somebody had climbed up there with uh, spray paint and had, where it says protect the babies, they crossed it out and they put punch, P-U-N-C-H, punch the babies. That is a sick thought that somebody would look at an innocent little baby and it's controversial that you should punch the babies, not protect the babies. There's something wrong with that thinking. And I just wanted to point that out because that that was something else that I saw. That was okay. That was a little weird. That'd be my third little weird thing. No smoking on Fourth Avenue, uh, robbery stuff all over the place, and punch the babies on a sign. That was that was pretty weird. Uh, but getting back to our Supreme Court. So here we had this this overturned decision. But remember, the decision was leaked. The decision was leaked out. Somebody in the courthouse got an early uh, draft of the whatever the the ruling was going to be, and they put it out. Now, this never happened before. Uh, Nobody's ever done that. And you have lots of different uh, ideologies in there. Of course, we have liberals and, and conservatives on the court, and their staff members are liberal or conservative, but nobody's ever done that. They respected what the court stands for and what the court's all about and whether you agree with the decision or not. They've respected the law and the process. Well, when somebody took this, uh, and put it out there. It caused how much controversy? How many riots took place? We had a an attempt on the life of the Supreme Court justice and his family, where a guy was caught with gun and handcuffs and zip ties and duct tape and all kinds of stuff, and he was heading for Justice Kavanaugh's house because of the he was enraged by this early decision, and they appointed uh, the house the investigator the court investigator to go figure this out. Now this was this is going back almost a year now. And the report came out where it basically said there's 82 people that possibly had access to it, but uh, we don't know who did it. We have no idea, so we're going to kind of just drop it right there. Well, was the FBI called into that? Who did this investigation? What kind of investigation was done? Were subpoenas issued? Were people put under oath? Were, Were people's cell phones tracked? Uh, did we get records for those 82 people did we find out who was in contact with the news reporters that ended up uh, reporting and publishing the the early content i don't think we did i think there's no justice in that we don't know what happened here and it seems like they're just going to drop it so justice uh the justices are in a strange position that that happened I, I, i guess you know it could have been one of them you know, any one of them could have could have released that information f- for a political reason. We're in a political time where everything is political now. There's no uh, there's no sense of honor anymore. It's just whatever is expedient. So maybe maybe one of them put it out because they really wanted to fire everybody up, uh, and get them out there, and then actually it worked. So as we look at the justice matters, the Idaho killer. Now, we we talked recently about um, the fact that there's an FBI guy and he's on you know an old profiler and he's retired but he's you know they're they're brilliant i've worked with the profilers on several uh amazing cases and it's it's kind of crazy you see how good they actually can be shockingly so as a matter of fact I i think i i don't know if i told you this one but we had a bank robbery guy that was going around doing bank robberies in like uh two different counties here in new jersey and he hit a bank uh Hit two banks in the town to where I was, and I, I worked the, the jobs. The guy wore the skies. Uh, he walked in. He claimed he had a weapon, took the money, ran out, and he was seen by some people uh, running with a mask on, and he disappeared around a corner, hit his car around the corner, whatever, and then he took off. Well, after about 10 of these bank jobs all over these couple of counties, trying to figure out, you know, there's some signature things. I've talked about that before, signature things. The guy wore... A certain kind of mask a certain kind of hat he had the same uh, method of operation his MO is how he would show up and what he would do so he was demonstrating a lot of patterns so the uh, the FBI was contacted because when you rob a bank that's a uh, federal institution basically so they get involved and they help out usually or they provide assistance or technology or whatever so we, we had them in there and we got a profiler and the profile took he took all the reports Went over everything, and then, shockingly, he comes back to us uh, and he says, "Okay, we have. A, I have a list of 42 things that I think uh, would be part of the profile of the person doing these bank robberies." Now you think about that. 42 things. This profiler could glean. Just based on, on the reports, the police reports of, of how this person... he did almost the same thing every time. Went in with a mask and a disguise, said the same thing, grabbed the money, took off. How did they get 42 things? Well, some of the things on there that were just so, like, seemingly innocuous. It says, um, this guy probably dabbles in marijuana, but he's not a heavy pot smoker. Now, how how would you get that out of this, right? Another thing they said, he probably works with his hands, and he probably works with metal. Now, how, I, we, we read that. I remember my partner, Chuck, and I sitting there reading those two particular things. Dabbles in marijuana, but not a heavy pot smoker, and works with his hands, probably works with metal. So the whole idea is that once you get this profile, you now start to look at any suspect candidates that you have and see what do they do for a living. Do they work with metal? You know, what, what is their habits and how they, how they do things. So that's the purpose of, but 42 separate things about this guy. And a, I got a couple of months later, uh, the guy strikes, he does another bank and he gets into a car chase this time. The cops are close by. They happen to see the guy. Now they're in a car chase with him. Um, he ended up going a hundred miles an hour and he hit a, a concrete abutment and he went out the window. Uh, Now, the horrible part of this story, and this is the truth sometimes of law enforcement stuff. People don't always see this side of it. He went through the windshield, uh, and as he did, he broke the steering wheel with his lower anatomy. I'll just say that. And he left a part of his lower anatomy on the column of the steering uh, steering post as he went out the window. Let your imagination run wild, and you'd be right. Um, but when we found out now who this guy was, now we do a search warrant on our, on his house and it turns out he lived in our town. We go there and we meet his wife, excuse me, <clears throat> his wife and his daughter. And we, you know, they were given the terrible news that their father and husband was killed in a car accident. And the worst news that, uh, he was a suspected bank robber and that we had a search warrant. So in the middle of your grief, we have to come in your house and look around for things. Well. We found a uh, a key for a storage unit and another team went there with a search warrant and they found like 10 or 11 different combinations of backpacks, hats, and masks that this guy had used in all his, so he changed them every time he was thinking. He changed his backpack, his hat, and his mask so he would look different Uh, and there they all were in this uh, storage unit. But when we're in his house and we're doing a search of this guy's house, we find a very small bag of marijuana in a night table and we talk to the wife about it and she says, oh yeah, that was my husband. He, you know, he wasn't a big pot smoker, but every once in a while, you know, on the weekend he would sit and he would, he would smoke a, a, a half a joint or something, you know, but he wasn't a big pot smoker. This is exactly what the profiler said. Then we're finding out, so what does your husband do for a living or what did he do for a living? And she says, oh, he's a sheet metal worker sheet metal worker works with his hands with metal right Uh, unbelievable and i gotta tell you out of the 42 things on that list that they gave us of the potentialities of this guy there had to be 35 of them that we could document absolutely amazing so these profilers are pretty good it's a it's a whole science you know it's not guys and girls just taking guesses at things they look at patterns they they just absolutely amazing so if you ever get a chance to read about profilers or meet one i think you'd really find it interesting so we have some interesting stuff with our idaho killer now you remember me telling you that i thought there was some incel involved right involuntarily celibate thing so i recently wrote an article for blue magazine uh, the blue magazine it's a nationwide police magazine Uh, you can go uh, you can get it online It's really a great magazine for law enforcement, about law enforcement. It's interesting stuff if you're interested in cop stuff. So they have two versions. They have the hard print copy, which they send out to police departments all across the country. And then they have the online version. So a lot of my articles appear in the online version. And recently I did this article. uh, I proposed it to the uh, editing staff on understanding what incels are before this guy popped up, before the Idaho killer guy popped up on the screen. And I just finished the article, so I think it'll be out in February. So it's The Blue Magazine. You can go take a look at it. But he's he's he had this profiler come on and say, well, it looks like there's some incel tendencies to this guy, which is pretty good because I said that a long time ago, just from what I knew, all right? Uh, and I could be totally wrong. But looking at it from, you know, 3,000 miles away, watching the news, understanding who this guy was, um the little information we have, I thought he might be an incel-related kind of a killer. Well, as it turns out, we're finding out now that he was uh, he was following three of the girls on Instagram. He was following the three girls on Instagram, and one of the young ladies that he had killed, he was direct messaging her. Hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Hey, what's going on? It looks like she didn't respond to him at all. Now, from the news reports we get... We find out that this guy was probably very awkward with women, with girls in high school. There was some reports that he would just walk up to to, to these girls randomly and say, "Hey, do you want to talk? Hey, do you want to go out? Hey, do you want to do something?" And they, you know, they would oh, get away from me, you creep. He was he was kind of known as the creep in school, and uh, the girls threw things at him. Were some of the reports? Get away from me! And They're throwing things at him. So all of this kind of kind of fits into that pattern so they have a profiler and i'd be i'd be interesting interested to read the profile of the killer that they set up um before they had this guy in custody to see how much of it matches who he is or who he's not or or whatever but i find that really very interesting the other things that they have is dna now a report came out recently that this killer cronenberg or clonenberg I don't got his name right. I don't care about killers' names. Um, This guy apparently uh, put his DNA into one of those registry things to see who is, you know, who's my family and put it in there. Now, they're saying they didn't use that, but that's where that cases are, are solved like that all the time now because if I put in my DNA to find out who my background is and a cousin of mine down the road commits a horrible crime and they compare the crime scene DNA from his crime to the database that i'm in they'll get some connections they'll get some connections on familial connections usually on the mother side that's where most of the connections come but they'll get some connections on the familial side now they start to look at the family and they might interview hey lieutenant joe uh have you been in carlstadt uh, new jersey in the last couple of months no i haven't do you know anybody in your family you know well i think my cousin ralph uh, was there two months ago. He was uh, staying there. Oh, Cousin Ralph. Now they look up Cousin Ralph. Next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. They put the connection. Ralph happened to be in the, in the place where the crime scene was. Now they get his DNA and uh, they can solve crime. So they got DNA from this guy. Uh, apparently, there's two kinds of criminals that, that we look at. And this is not... I can't give you an in-depth lesson on this, but there's things that we look at, especially when it comes to horrific crimes like this. You don't show up somewhere... Uh, with a big old knife and kill four people in the manner that this person did if you didn't think about it a little bit now we know that there's evidence from his phone pings as well as uh, videos of his car moving around the area between two o'clock and four o'clock in the morning that he was riding back and forth in front of this house probably trying to build up his guts to go in there you know what was he looking at maybe he saw a car deliver food or, you know because it was delivery of four o'clock or whatever Trying to get <clears throat> trying to get his guts up to go in and do what he wanted to do. And we look at these two different kind of criminals. One is the organized criminal and the other is the disorganized criminal. All right. So for all my law enforcement friends out there, I, I'm not going in-depth into this. I'm just trying to give this for our general chasing justice audience who get some insight for them. The organized criminal is somebody who really thinks through what they're going to do. You know, they think ahead. They might bring um, gloves with them, knowing they're going to be doing a burglary. Uh, they might bring screwdrivers. They might bring things like that. The disorganized criminal is somebody who acts on the spur of the moment, and they go in and they use the sleeve of their hands, a sleeve of their shirt uh, to cover their hands, if they even think of that. Uh, but they end up leaving prints anyway. They leave uh, DNA. They cut themselves. They drop their wallet as they go through the window. I can't tell you how many times that happens. Uh, we find a wallet at a crime scene. Crazy. So this guy uh, apparently was direct messaging these girls who didn't answer him. So that, that kind of fits the pattern. Um, and he drove around the house a few times, this and that, back and forth. Uh, and then he went in and did this horrific, horrific crime. And, and he seems to be a bit disorganized. He, he Apparently the knife he brought in, the, the murder weapon, was in a sheath and he took it off. And he left the sheath there, and they got some of his, uh, his DNA off the sheath that he left behind. So, uh, obviously, uh, probably was, was a hectic crime scene once it started. Once the action started, it probably uh, moved quickly, and he decided to get out of there. Now, there's, there's uh, commentary from one of the girls who did survive, who was there, that said she came out and saw a guy with a mask and bushy eyebrows walk right past her. Uh, he didn't kill her. How come? She must be involved. Because people don't know what the heck they're talking about when it comes to crime. This guy just killed four people. He probably at that point just wanted to get the hell out of there. He's got a mask on. Maybe at that point he realized what he did. There's shock to these kind of things. Uh, And then he just walked right out the door and left. Uh, But he left the the knife's sheath behind, apparently. Who knows what else he left behind? He might have left his wallet there. You never know. These people... Uh, that, that are disorganized sometimes do that. Your organized criminals, they're the ones who think ahead, consider how they could get caught. They look at their times. Uh, they do that. Recently, we saw in California again, uh, an entire family wiped out, uh, apparently by a cartel group uh, of hitmen who went to a house 350 miles from the border, right? This is not right on the border where they oh they jumped over they had 350 miles into the state of california into the united states of america uh, and they killed a family of six uh, execution style including shooting a 16 year old girl who's the mother of a 10 month old baby and both of them uh, as gross as this sounds had uh, gunshots to the head complete execution this was a professional hit now who knows what evidence they left behind who knows what ring doorbell cameras are going to help the authorities Uh, figure out who this was but apparently these killers were in and out very quickly very professionally and they killed six people to send a very loud message that's a much more organized kind of a criminal so you would approach that criminal and your investigation a little different because you know that they're thinking about things so again we see Idaho killer they're looking uh, for his social media they're also looking for text messages they're looking for uh lookups on anything that he's searched uh to find out what's going on. Which brings us to the wife killer, uh the guy who killed his wife uh in Massachusetts, or he's been charged with murdering his wife. They haven't found a body yet. But this genius, what does he do? He goes online and he searches uh how uh how to dispose of a human body, how to dismember a human body. How long does it take before a body starts to smell? Do you leave a body out in the field, or are you better off wrapping it in plastic? Then he lies to the cops, which is what they charged him with initially, uh, I guess, uh you know, uh, interfering in an investigation by lying. I went to my mother's house, and then I went over here, and I went over there, and then they go there and look. And, of course, you can go get surveillance cameras. And he tells them he went there at 10 in the morning. Well, you start looking at 9, you go to 11.30, you know, eventually somebody looks at the whole day to make sure he didn't get his timing off, but gee, he, he didn't go to, uh, to home goods and buy tomatoes, and he didn't go to uh, 7-Eleven and get cigarettes or whatever, the two places he said he went to, uh, but where they did find video of him was in a Home Depot or a Lowe's, one of the, you know, those big box stores, buying what? Mops and brooms, and cleaners and duct tape and tarps and all, everything you would need to dispose of a body. So this guy, uh, amazing that they they put this case together. But I tell you, I I worked one of those uh, back in the day. Very interesting. Uh, Chuck, if you're listening, you remember this one. We had um, a young couple, uh, probably, let's say, early 30s. And the husband, uh, prior to being married and having children with his his current wife, uh, had a long-term relationship with a young lady, uh, and they broke up. I don't know, eight or nine years earlier. Well, the young lady was was still in love with this guy and, and wrote him letters and called him on the phone. And finally, the guy had to say, listen, I'm married, I got a family, you got to stop calling me, go away, I don't want you here. Well, this girl became obsessed with this guy and she was actually, was she, I think at the time she was, she was still in the military, uh, the young girl, and she drove... From somewhere in Maryland, where she was stationed, all the way up to New Jersey. Uh, she showed up at the, at the guy's house uh, and waited till he went to work. And then she went and knocked on the door and met the wife at the door. And then apparently pushed her way into the house. Um, tried to kill the wife using a phone cord. Tried to choke her out and kill her. The wife managed to fight her off. Uh, she grabbed a kitchen knife, the the bad girl, and was trying to kill uh, the wife with it. And the wife ended up running outside, screaming and hollering. And neighbors saw this. Uh, the bad girl took off uh, around the corner, got in her car where she hid, and and drove away. And you say, wow, that's uh, that's pretty crazy, right? So you start to figure out okay who 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 would have come to your house and and done this what female would come to your house and try and kill your wife well obviously you got to look at a relationship is it a current relationship uh is it a past relationship and the the wife brought up well my husband had a girlfriend who's been calling for years and she just won't stop and so they did a photo lineup and uh she was uh, she identified her that's the girl that's the girl who tried to kill me in my house well now we start to put the case together we had to find the girl first but then we started to go around and figure out well what how is she dressed and the woman said looked like she had new boots on new work boots so what did we do we started uh going around to all the different stores did anybody buy but now you got to go between here and maryland is this person on video we had the help of lots of police agencies we sent them the pictures can you look at video from your boot store? you know this that and the other thing and we eventually found the girl's car abandoned between here and uh, and Maryland, and in the car was uh, a bottle of vodka, and some other stuff, some writing implements. But the there was a receipt in the bag, for the vodka from a liquor store two towns over from ours. We went there and looked at our video, and here's this girl in the store buying the vodka, before she went on the attack. So she got a little uh, she got a little booze to to help herself, uh, you know strengthen herself up and then she went and attacked this woman I guess uh, you know her her thought at the time was if I I killed the wife then you know he would be a widow and then we'd get back together and we would have a wonderful life and and it didn't work out that way we ended up catching her uh, getting her interviewing her and she made a confession very heartfelt you know how much you know love love drove her to do this because she loved the man he knew that in, in deep down in his heart he loved her more than he loved the wife he was with and, and he really would have appreciated what she did so they could be together. That was uh, that was her confession to us. So when we look at these things, we say, you know, uh, what information can we find? Profiling, evidence, DNA, all of these things help us in our pursuit of justice in an event to try and uh, solve crime. So I wanted to bring those things up this week and, and talk about a couple of uh, previous events that i was involved with to show that this stuff really works the profiles are great read any of those books they're really cool all right so what's what's on our uh, last uh, last minute we have together here for this this episode uh let's talk about uh, some people uh, musicians people that we've lost so recently uh, david crosby has passed away david crosby I, I you know crosby stills nash crosby stills nash and young uh their music was wonderful really great music uh I was never a huge, gigantic fan. <clears throat> I was more of a Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Van Halen kind of guy. But I like all kinds of music. And uh, David Crosby certainly changed the music world with, uh, with his talent and his skill. There's a really cool uh, show that you want to go see. I think it's on Prime Video or Hulu. And it's called uh, Laurel Canyon. And it's about the 1960s, 1970s, when all of these budding rock stars were living in Laurel Canyon uh, in California, outside of Los Angeles, and how they would go from one person's house to another person's house, and and here's you know these people who became very very famous rock and roll people, uh, you know live two doors down from each other. So, uh, David Crosby, good luck on your journey. I want to thank everybody for being out there, and uh, you know pay attention to what's going on, and remember be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe signing off. Till we meet again here on Chasing Justice.